0: Yeah, man. Yeah, that was. You know what else was good? Your involvement in that being good. If you understand how critical it is that you are involved in worship, it makes a complete difference in the atmosphere. Yep, yeah, it does. God is good. Are you awake? If you're not awake now, then man, we need to go ahead and bring out the shocker. I guess I want to remind the men here in a, in a few weeks we're going to be going to Men's Retreat. It's the end of September, the 29th and the 30th. And if you are, if any of you went last year, you know how great it was. We're going to be going back this year, and uh, another pastor is going to be speaking. He does a great job of listening to him some on YouTube. And and a uh, pastor's out and uh, if there's anything good in Kansas other than wind, I don't know and deer, but he's got pastors out in in uh, Kansas, and he's going to be coming and sharing uh, for a couple days at Men's Retreat up at Lake the Ozarks. The Lord is good. It's good to see you this morning. How many of y'all have been excited about the rain we've just received for the first time in a month or whatever? Yeah. Awesome. All right. The Lord is good. It's good to see you here. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles this morning to Genesis 3. Could you imagine being Adam and Eve and just created? You had no no family reference. They were the first ones to start everything. They had no one to learn anything from. They just kind of existed The Lord gave them and gave them responsibility and gave them some of the things they were supposed to take care of. And they're supposed to take off with the first, uh, I guess you say, civilization. But they had no clue of what was to come. And I said something a few minutes ago about the element of Christ that makes everything different. And I may not even get into all my message. We'll see how it goes. But something that is so important in every one of our individual lives is this. That if we understand the ingredient that Christ brings into this life it it completely changed the way you look at your relationship with God. You know, there's certain qualities and things that the Lord brings to pass in a person's life who is completely sold out to Him. So let me ask you this morning, are you ready for what's to come in your life? Are you preparing for anything that's different? Because I don't care how long you've been here or what you've been through, every one of us should be looking for elements of change and for something to get better than what it already is. Would you agree with that? How many of you, if you have a toothache, what do you do about your toothache? You cry about it yes but you go to some place that they can take care of it it's the same way with other areas of our life spiritually how many of you have ever prayed for direction how many of you have ever prayed for healing how many of you have ever prayed for your kids how many of you have ever prayed for finances or favor or direction employment all of those things are key ingredients and there is something about those ingredients when we step out and we believe him that he will begin to direct us in ways we never thought possible so the first thing I want to go to is Genesis three and I make references Genesis 3 all the time because, uh, as I've shared with my daughter, beware of intruders, beware of things that come into your life. But I want you to look at verse 11 in the first part, and it says this. And he said, Who told thee that thou were naked? Who told you you were naked? Who was it that told you that, that something had to be covered up? Who was it and what had happened in your life for someone to come and tell you that something isn't right? And for us to get ready for what God has for us, we have to prepare the groundwork in our own heart. And so we have this in Genesis 3. We have Eve and Adam and Eve hiding in the trees because the Lord had come down in the cool of the day to talk. And they say, well, he said, well, why are you hiding? And did he already know? Absolutely. But he said, why are you hiding? And they said, because we were naked. And isn't it amazing in every one of our lives, every one of us, when there is something in your life that you do not want to deal with or you do not want to get rid of, you begin to hide it. You begin to camouflage it. You begin to masquerade it. You cover it up with a variety of other things. And in this passage, you have to be aware of who you listen to because they'll get you into a place in your life that you're always trying to camouflage the reality. And the reality is this. For you and I to ever receive what God has for us, we have to be careful who we listen to, the things that we listen. Who told you what? Some of you more than likely as a young man or a young woman were told very negative things most of your life. You never thought that you'd be accepted. You never thought you could excel. You never thought that anything would be different. And maybe you're in here this morning and you still feel the same way. Because somebody birthed into you something that was anything but favor and love and peace and direction and, and, and abounding in blessing. It's always been the negative side of things. It's always been there. So who told you these things that you accepted? Who told you that you couldn't, you couldn't grow Who told you that you couldn't be more prepared? Who persuaded you that you're lost in this life, that this is the way you're always going to be? And to be honest with you, it is easier for us to stay exactly as we are than to embrace a change that can come. And I don't care, it doesn't matter who we are, how far you've come. There is always something more that God has in store if we will embrace Him and we will trust Him with it. Some of you can look at your life now and you think, I would never in my wildest imagination... Believe that God could do in my life what He's done. Some of us can't get past the things that happened in the past and the things that friends have thrown around our neck or what our community has called us or things that they've said. But have you ever noticed that everything that took place in the life of people who had an encounter with Jesus? Now here's the thing that's different about going to church and, and to coming to church and really having an encounter with him. A lot of people were spectators, and to be honest with you, a lot of people go to church just to spectate. They go just to be a part or just to watch or whatever it is, or they got, they got something for our kids or something for our youth, or, or it's a place to go, I, you know, it's different than what I've ever been to before, and there's nothing wrong with that. But friend, if that's the only distance you get into that, then you've really missed out. Because here's the thing, Jesus was always in a crowd, and he was always making a difference. And everywhere that he went, there was people always around him, but there were some that received and some that just watched. And I begin to think about us as a church. How many of us sit on the outskirts and we watch, but we never really encounter? We come to church and we learn how to raise our hands and cry and stand and sit down and all the little peripherals of what a service is, but we never really get a hold of who Jesus is in my life. He Is he the Lord of my life? Is he really the key ingredient, the element that makes all the difference? Because without him, it's nothing more than a religious experience or a place that you call your church. But when you really understand who Jesus is, he makes a difference. Let me give you an example. I, I could think of, of a whole lot of people that, that, that were always in his presence, but these people begin to have encounters. Ever notice what happens in the lives of people who had a true encounter with Jesus? The blind people could see, the deaf could hear. Those that were bound and labeled and criticized and made fun of and accused and taken in adultery and everything else were free. Those that were lost became found. Those that were hopeless became hopeful. Those that were sick were also began healthy. Those who were condemned now had life. <clears throat> Those that were lonely and lived in a garden, or in a garden but in, a, in a, a graveyard, became very popular. And not because popular that the kids would go down to the graveyard and throw rocks at the man at the Gadarenes, the demoniac, but because the man who once dwelt among the tombs began to go in the land of the living and make a difference in other people's lives. In your life and mine, I'm just telling you this, we can go to church our whole life and not know who Jesus is. We can know all about him. We can take, we can take communion and we can understand what the cross is about. But, but if he's really not the Lord of everything in your life, then, friend, you're always going to struggle. You're always going to, well, you know, I don't feel like going or, you know, it's not that important. Friend, let me tell you, the assembling of yourself together is critical. And I can tell you that as a pastor. I could not function and I could not last Well, the assembling of ourselves together. It's something that we need. Don't deceive yourself into thinking because you don't cuss anymore. You don't drink anymore. You don't do some of these things that everybody used to put labels on that everything's okay. Because that's not the case. Because a lot of people are in church and they're not embracing the fact that it's the Jesus factor. Everything that went on in the last three songs especially were all about the name Jesus. Jesus. And was it emotional? Absolutely. Is there anything wrong with emotion? Shoot, no. Emotion is part of how God made us and allows us to enter into things in a completely different way. But the thing that I notice about everybody that gets around Jesus is that everybody prospers. And we don't like to hear messages sometimes about prospering, but I, I like messages about prospering. I like messages about finding favor, not that I deserve it, but because God gave it to me. You know, I like I like to hear messages and read scripture about somebody who didn't expect anything to ever get good in their life. All of a sudden, it begins to get good because something changed in their priorities. If you, last week I read something, a story about two people, and and one was one he was a great speaker and he was speaking to people, and the other guy wasn't having great success. And as the one guy began to speak, every time he spoke, more people kept coming, and before long, there were so many people around where he was. The only place he could go was out into the water. He had no place else to go, and and. So what had he done? There was a boat there. So he went out, got up in the boat, and people continued to come to hear because what he had had weight to it. It had substance. The guy he got in the boat with, you remember if you were here, (coughs) the guy he got in the boat with, his name was Peter. Peter had been fishing all night. He hadn't caught a fish. One person was walking in, in prosperity. One was thriving. One was growing, and the other was frustrated. And a lot of people go to church frustrated, and they leave frustrated because they've never seen the real source. The real source is coming and, and getting honest with God It's in Jesus, I need you to be the Lord of my life. Yes, I want to prosper. I don't want to serve you selfishly. But i got to have your direction. I don't just want to be better. I don't just want to be good. I want to have you completely in charge. Go to the book of John, if you will, in chapter 5. John chapter 5 and verse 2. It says and there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Market Pool, which is called in Hebrew the Tongue Bethesda, having five porches, and lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For the for water, for the angel of the Lord went down for a certain season to the pool to trouble the water. And whosoever then was first afterwards troubling the water stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity for thirty and eight years. And Jesus, when he saw him lay lie, he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. And he said unto him, Will you be made whole? And the impotent man said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I'm coming, another man stepeth down before me. And Jesus said unto him, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And that's where I want to stop. How many times have I told myself, and have you told yourself, It's never going to change. It's never going to be different. It's never going to get better. I'm never going to have a better job. I'm never going to have a better relationship. I'm never going to see the things come to pass in my offspring, my kids' life, and my family's life. It's never going to happen. And so what happens is you, you, you don't start off real bad when you first get in that that state of being fixed. But the longer you stay there, the more stiff you become. I I get down the floor a lot with the girls. And used to, I could take off, dive across the floor and roll and, and whatever. Now I notice when I go to get down, I do this. And I hurt my on this side doing that and I get down and play and horse play and it's a little slower getting up used to I could flop down and flop back up do it I'm, just, I'm on it but I've noticed over the years that things change and this guy here the longer he stayed there the more stiff he became I want you to think about that the longer we sit without embracing Christ the stiffer we become the more calloused and the more indifferent we become to Christ when you and I stop preparing for something more, we just sit down. For 38 years, for 38 years, this man was doing the same thing every day. I really think that he went there just because that's the only place he could go, and people would take him. There's a place to go and hang out. There's a place that, how many of you' all have noticed that when men get older, they get up early in the morning and they go where? <coughs> McDonald's, Burger King, C-Mart, on the go. You know, you got your Bible trivia guys on the go. you got another group of guys at Seamart. You go to McDonald's and you see all these guys like Brother Lankford. Sorry, Brother Lankford. And you see some other guys in there sipping on their coffee. Sometimes you go in there as a later in the morning, and you'll see Donnie Reynolds in there sitting there talking to some guys. It's just the way it is. Something about us guys, we we'll like have to go gather with the guys, hang out with the dudes. And our wife don't care. You want to go get coffee. They don't want to get up at 5 in the morning, put on their makeup. You go get a cup of coffee, do you, honey? You'd rather do what? Absolutely, you want to sleep in a little bit. Us guys, I'm wasting time if I'm laying in bed. So I go to Walmart, Walmart, I go to McDonald's or Burger King and waste a little time. For the past 38 years, maybe the first year the guy had hope, maybe the second year. But as the years progressed, his hope began to diminish. And now he became a routine person that was taken down to the water just for the sake of going. Never expecting anything any different. He just uh, existed and accepted his fate. So I'm going to ask you right here, right now. We've got people that's been attending here now just a month or two. Some things are changing in your life, and you've already seen the benefits. But friends, it's really easy when you don't see the benefits fast enough to get discouraged. You don't go running because the things don't come instantly. In this passage, it's important we understand that Jesus said something to him. This guy, let me ask you, where are you right now? Are you paralyzed? Are you scared? Are you tired? Are you broke? Are you just sitting? Are you content just where you are? If if this was something that we could do, many of us would have a whole lot of people here this morning with their hands raised, faithful to church, a complete change in their life, but we can't. We can only prepare the way there. So this is what Jesus says to this guy. And to be honest with you, this is what Jesus says to me and you. Stop sitting there, pick up your bed and walk. Stop sitting there, pick up yourself and live. Stop sitting there and stop complaining. Stop sitting there and stop blaming. Stop sitting there and and start to expect your healing. Stop sitting there and just pick up yourself and begin to move forward. Whatever you just, whatever, just pick up yourself and stop sitting. The worst thing that can happen in anybody's life is just to find a place to get comfortable and sit. About five, six weeks ago, Nick and Seth come in. Nick has been talking to me about rearranging the seats and and hit one a couple days. Him and Seth come in and rearranged them and hit through our church congregation in hysteria. My wife thought she was having a, a, a mental breakdown. She thought she was having Alzheimer's flash. she come in and couldn't find her seat, and she stood. You should have seen her eyes. You know the deer in headlights? She couldn't find it, and it's been awkward ever since. And some of you have moved. Some of you are close to where you were. Some of you have changed sides. You went different places because it was awkward. That's just the way it is. Change is not always easy, but there's one thing that's got to happen. You've got to do something to change the way it's been. This man's life changed whenever he began to carry. And I want you to just stay with this. This man's life never changed until he picked up his own bed. Friend, his life never changed until he picked it up. And I'm going to tell you the same thing until you pick up your own bed. Until you recognize where you've been sitting and squatting for all these years and living the way you've always lived, it's never going to change. There will be no godly favor. There will be no anointing. There will be nothing different in your life until you pick up your bed from where you are and begin to expect something different. It's all in anticipation and faith and believing because without Jesus, you're never going to believe it in the first place. You're just going to be religious. And you're going to think, well, it just, it's yin and yang. You know, he kind of picks and chooses who he wants it to fall upon. And that's not the case. Romans chapter 12, and I was hesitant to use this, but I want to talk to you about something that's important here in Romans 12 and verse 6. It says this, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. Listen, whether it's prophecy or whatever, according to the, propo- to the proportion of faith. Proportion of faith is the amount you put into it. None of us in this room will ever be operating in spiritual gifts until we put a proportion in it. We will never see a change in anything that we plan to see a change until there's a proportion put in it. You know, I've shared last week that my wife gets up every day and prepares. She doesn't just walk around the house all day in, in her PJs and slippers. She doesn't do that. You're never going to see my wife with her PJs on at Walmart. It's not going to happen. She gets up and she gets prepared. And it's the same with you. If you don't get up with the proportion of faith you have and begin to prepare it, it's never going to happen to change. And I'm going to be honest with you, I want his favor. I want his direction. I want his preparedness. I want his change in my life. But it's not going to happen as long as I lay by my bed or lay in my bed and never pick it up and begin to do something with it. Take your Bibles, go to 1 Kings, if you will, in chapter 17. And I'm going to ask the worst of just in just a couple minutes. I'll give you the cue. The cue is when I say, come on up guys. That'll be your cue, all right? 2 Kings 17. I'm sorry. 1 Kings 17. You knew what I meant. I heard this, I heard this from some preacher I was listening to in the last few weeks. He says, I'm preparing for reward. And when he said that, I thought, man, am I preparing for a reward? Now, I don't mean I'm, I'm bounty hunting. I am not mean I'm looking on the FBI most want to list at the post office. But am I preparing for reward? And, friend, are you preparing for something bigger? You see, a lot of times we think that we deserve something, but we aren't prepared for it. We're not preparing for it. And I begin to think about that. And the other thing that he said along with it is kind of like this. I'm preparing for reward. But I'm also ready for the pain to get there. There is never great success that does not bring great pain. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're Conor McGregor. Okay, uh, someone else. Uh, no, it doesn't matter. There's always pain with getting to where you want to go. There's a guy by the name of Elijah. And uh, he was a man that gave great prophecies, and God used him in great ways. And at this particular time, he'd shut the heavens up. He'd told God if it was not to rain until he asked him to let it rain. So now it hadn't rained in about three years. And in verse 2 chapter 17, it says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Go east, go get thee hence, and turn eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, that is, by Jordan. And it shall be that when thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord, and he dwelt and he went and dwelt in the brook Cherith. That is before Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and flesh in the morning, and bread and flesh in the evening, and he drank of the brook. And it came to pass that after a while that the brook dried up. And I'm going to stop here for a minute. Let me ask you, what did he do when he was at the brook? In the middle of nowhere, in the middle of nowhere, and God told him to go there and set up a tent. That's where I want you to stay. What did he do every day? Did he grab his Bible and begin to read it? No. What did he do? let you figure that one out. He's there. The water dries up. Verse 8, and the Lord of the Lord came in him, saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. And there, behold, I have commanded a widow woman, this is saying thee there. And he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water and a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called unto her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thy hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal. You know the rest of the story. What's the deal? What's the big deal? This is the big deal. Reward doesn't stop with me. Reward flows, as we said last week, from the top. It wasn't just about Elijah and the the initial thing in the creek and the ravens bringing food and and the water, and that was great. And God was proving to Elijah, I will sustain you. And regardless of who we are here this morning, he will still sustain us. The second point was this. He won't only sustain you, but he'll sustain those around you. And how many times do we have concerns and things are bombarding our mind on those behalf we love? There's something about expectation. There's something about knowing and getting up and carrying your bed and believing God for something that he can only bring. So he goes to this lady, she begins to make provisions, and during the rest of the drought, she had provision. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back. There's a whole lot to do with success and finding God's favor and finding his direction and and how prepared you are to receive it. Scripture says, Cast not the pearl before the swine. Cast not the pearl before the swine. Does a does pig have any reverence for a, a bunch of pearls? No. Let me ask you, do you have reverence for his word? Do you have reverence for him in your life? Do you have reverence that he can bring direction in your life in ways you never, ever dreamed or imagined? You see, how can God entrust us with things that we don't trust him with? Proverbs chapter 27, I'm not going to read it, I'm just going to make reference to it. Verse 23 through 27 says this, Know the condition of your flocks. Know the condition of what you already have. Because, friend, if we do not take care and we do not know the condition of what we already have, how can we expect him to, to bring provision in greater things? Well, see, Jesus is the answer. As Andre Krauss used to sing, Jesus is the answer for the world today. Above him, there's no other. Jesus Away. I'm going to read something to you from Max Locate on this is how we're going to close. It's going to be a different closing this morning, but let me, let me tell you when we close the service. This is not just a thing, hurry up and get out of here so we can go eat lunch. It's about 15 till. When we close the service this morning, it is always about decisions. Always. And some of you have made decisions for months to get up and just hit the door as quick as you can get out of here. And I understand, you know, not every message hits. But this message this morning, I know it's spoken to some people. But one of the biggest tragedies that takes place in the church service is when it was your day, you left. When it was your day again, you left. And when it was your day again, you left. But in all reality, your day means it was a time for favor to begin to set in. It was a time for direction to begin to set in. It was a time for everything in your life to begin to change because you made a decision. And you recognize that Jesus is the answer. As Judas Smith says, I say it all the time. it's always been about Jesus. It's always been Jesus. It will always be about Jesus. And that's the fact of the matter. It's always about him. And the day you recognize that, it's when favor begins to come into your life. My wife and I have been blessed abundantly just by the opportunity to serve in this church and every other way as well i was sharing this morning in sunday school about a message of hope and how critical is hope and when i was in the middle of it i look up and there came alana and sophie in her arms and Maisie came running down the hallway i'm going to get to this there was a time i was hopeless grateful that Layton's involved in ministry here at this church, so grateful so grateful that my daughter is on her way for nothing about her but greater things than she could ever have dreamed that God could do in her life, just greater than ever, I know there's a lot of times that she blamed God and she thought it was just, just my destiny this is how I am, this is the way I roll, this is how I do things but it's because of hope because of hope that we can say Jesus is so faithful. It's because of hope in him that we know he can take any life that's in here. And you may think, friend, you don't know my story. Let me tell you, you don't know hers. You don't know hers. You don't know his. I've got another son that's pursuing the Lord in John three sixteen for God so loved the world, that he sent his only begotten son. He's pursuing Jesus down in Arkansas as well. But let me tell you about you. You didn't exit the womb with your intended career tattooed on your chest. No printout of innate skills uh, accompanied your birth certificate. But as life progressed, you began noticing your gifts. Skills were revealed. Knacks were uncovered. God gave those. It was God himself who has made us what we are and has given us new lives from Jesus Christ. And long ages ago, he planned what we should be, what we should spend these lives in helping others. Ephesians 2. The the cure for commonness begins with strength extraction. No one else has your makeup disregarded at your own peril. An oil rig repairman will not fill at home in an Argentine schoolroom. And if God made you teach Argentine kids, you won't enjoy offshore derrick repair. And the kids in the class and the workers on the platform, don't they have the right person, do they have the right person in place? Indeed, they do. You do too. And most of all, God does. Because you are the one he made and the only one like you. If numbers numb you, let me simplify. God made you and broke the mold. God looks from heaven. He sees all the sons of men from his place and his dwelling. He looks on all the inhabitants of the earth. He fashioned their hearts individually. That's Psalms 33. He considers all their works. Every single baby is a brand new idea from the mind of God. Is that not amazing? Scan history for your replica. You'll never find it. God Taylor made you. He personally formed you, and he made each one. No box of pick up, uh, backup use set in God's workshop. You are one of many bricks in the mason's power, one of the dozens of bolts in the mechanic's drawer. You are it. And if you aren't you, you don't get you. The world misses out. You are Haley's Comet. We have one shot at seeing you shine. You offer a gift to society that no one else can bring. And if you don't bring it, it won't be brought. I want you to stay and listen. You may be here this morning, you feel like the biggest loser, and there's no way anything good can happen. Friend, that is nothing but a lie. I read that in Genesis 3 for a reason. Who told you you were naked? Who told you that it would never change? Who told you you would always have menial jobs? Who told you that you can never be healthy? Who told you you can, who tells us these things? It's always somebody that doesn't want to see us. Walk in favor and see us prosper. Consider a wacky example of this truth. I jogged through my neighborhood the other day under a cloud. Not a cloud of rain, but a cloud of self-doubt. And friend, if you've ever been in ministry, if you've ever dealt with people, there's been a lot of days you enter into doubt. And I may come here and you think he's always up and he's always whatever, hyper or whatever. But it does not mean that I don't leave here with thoughts on my mind that makes you think, why do I do this? Why don't I stop? Why don't I go to WW? Why don't I go do something else sometime? Because surely that would have to be easier than the things I deal with sometimes here. That's just the way it is. No job and no life is without that cloud that hangs over your head. None of them. Not a cloud of rain, but a cloud of self-doubt. The challenges of life seemed to outnumber my resources, and I questioned my ability. And quite frankly, I began to question God's wisdom for picking me. Are you sure that I'm the right man for this job? Was the theme of my prayer. Apparently, God really wanted to give me an answer because I heard one from on high, from a deep, booming voice, you're doing a good job, and I stopped at my tracks Actually, I stopped dead in my rebox and I looked up. And seeing nothing in the clouds, I shifted my attention into a roof of a house. And there he was waving at me. A painter was dressed in white, leaning against the dormer. And I waved back, and I wondered, almost asked, how did you know I needed to hear that? Did I have a brush with an angel? Did I see an angel with a paintbrush? Was the worker sunstruck? This much I know. That painter spots a mental... A middle-aged guy he spots a middle-aged guy with a bald spot, puffing, running through the streets. This guy could, this guy would use, could use a good word, and so he gives it. You're doing a great job. A stretch of theology, maybe a little bit, when I suggest that God put that man there, just for me. But long before time, long before time had, God had each moment in time, including that one. He saw a minister that needed a word. He saw a fellow with a skill for painting and a heart for encouragement. He put the one on the street and the other one on the roof of a house. Multiply that tiny event by millions. And behold, the way God sustains this world, God makes everything work together. And he will work into you his most excellent blessings. Friend, when he is the core, he is the center. It opens up doors for favor to begin to come into your life. I don't believe in prosperity doctrine that we manipulate God. But I know this, that there are choice people that God will put into our life to bring things to pass. If we really know who our Savior is. We really know who our Lord is. If you're here this morning and you've been through it. You've went to church. And maybe you've been here for a long time but you've never said, Jesus. I come to church all the time and I raise my hands. But I've never said, Jesus, be the Lord. Jesus, be my Savior. Be my Lord. And friend, if at you this morning, I'm going to ask you to come. We're going to start a song, The Only Name. The Only Name. The Only Name. It's a fast song. It's not a slow altar song. But it should give you energy to say, this is my moment. This is my day. Because there's one name that I'm going to go forward to. Because that's the only name I'm going to praise. Absolutely, yes, Lord. on just a second. We're going to sing this through another time or so. This is how we're going to close today. But I'm going to tell you a few years ago, there was a guy by the name of Billy Ferguson right over here. And Billy Ferguson met me in my office, him and Zach Zook. And we were in there and we began to pray. And I'll tell you, there's one name that Billy will never forget. And it's not Dwight Hensley. And it's sure not Zach Zook or him or Dwight Hensley, but it's Jesus. Because it was that day that everything changed and it wasn't because something I could do or Zach could do. It was something that Jesus could do in Billy's name. Billy's life, the same way with Jason, wherever Jason's at this morning, Jason himself, Jason Dollar, wherever he went, here's the thing, it doesn't matter how many things he's done in the Middle East, it doesn't matter how many awards he's gotten, it doesn't matter what he's accomplished, there's only one name that's ever going to be elevated in his life, and that's Jesus, and friend, if you're here, we're going to close, if you want to come up, and you want him to be the Lord of your life. And you want him to surrender everything to him this morning. Come down, because we're going to close in just a couple minutes. God is good. Hallelujah. Mm-hmm. hallelujah hallelujah this time we're going to close these are just the people praying we're going to let them continue to pray as long as they need and as long as they want we're going to go to another slow worship song and Layton's going to sing it and you can stay in worship as long as you want you don't have to be in a hurry it's a blessing to be in his presence some people have never encountered it there's a lot of people in bloomfield that have no idea what being in his presence is